Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. In this third message from the Great Mysteries series titled 107 Words, Pastor Ben Pitney is teaching from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. that you're here today. We're going to dig in today. It's going to be really fun, I think, in some ways. In some ways, I think you're going to have to work today to kind of connect all the dots in this really great passage of scripture we're in. So we're in the book of Colossians, this really nice letter that Paul writes from prison to the people of Colossae, okay? So take your Bible out and turn there, all right? And then put that little bookmark in there in Colossians chapter 1. And so this um, series, uh, I think we appropriately named it the Great Mystery. All right, he Paul refers to this Great Mystery all the time, and uh, you got to dig around and kind of figure out what he's trying to say there. This mystery that's been hidden, he says, is uh, is now revealed. Right, it's, it's been hidden for generations, for the from the ages, but now it's been revealed, and and he just comes out and says it in this letter. He says. Let me tell you what the mystery is. It is Christ in you. Christ in you. So it's been hidden a long time, but now Jesus is here. And then when you surrender your life to Jesus, when you swear allegiance to the king, to Jesus, now he lives here. So he says it's been revealed. And it's Christ in you. And it's supposed to be revealed now. It's not supposed to be a mystery anymore in the world that we live in. So this is this great mystery. So he writes this letter then from prison to these people. So when we looked at this letter and the way it's kind of themed, so to speak, Paul's always got a purpose to, to his letters. He writes them to specific churches about specific issues and things like that. Now, there's good things that are happening in this church or this group of churches or these people that live in Colossae, all right, the Lycus Valley. There's, there's great things in, that are happening there. So a guy named Epaphras, who he sent to preach the gospel here, while he was preaching the gospel somewhere else, comes back and gives Paul a report, right? He says, hey, let me tell you about the good things, and then there's some stuff that you got to pay attention to as well. So he tells them really great things that are happening in th this group of Christ followers. So he addresses some specific stuff. But here's his, his main point, right? So yeah, this is a great mystery. It's Christ in you. Christ is revealed now, but my, the main thing is from Paul. And you got to read through these, all of his letters to find this, but every time he writes to a church, every time he writes to a body of believers, it's all about his desire for everybody to become mature in Christ. He wants everybody growing and maturing in Christ. That's his whole reason for writing the letter. So, in this letter um, as well, he wants you, he wants us, he wants these believers in Jesus to become fully established, mature Christ followers. And that's his whole purpose, right? Now, here's the other thing. We're going to look at um, these verses today, and it's a prayer. But Paul, he is the king. He is the chief. He is the master of run-on sentences. Oh my gosh. You're going to see. That's why I titled this message 107 Words. 
It is 107 words. And in English, we put some commas and things in there, but there's basically none of that in the original language because it is just one big, long, run-on sentence. You're going to see that. So it makes it just a little bit difficult because, man, does he cram a lot in there. Okay, so now you got that silky little bookmarker thing in there, all right? In Colossians, I want you to turn then to John chapter 8. And I want to show you something that's going to help us study and unpack this lesson today. And you're going to have to kind of hang with me if you're just going to watch it or whatever. I, you're not going to connect to it as good. So I want you to turn there. I want you to find it for yourself if you at all can, right? Grab a Bible from the table or underneath the chair or pull up your phone or your iPad or whatever you got, okay? I want you to look at these verses because that's where the, it's going to be easier to catch all these concepts, all right? So this is Jesus in John chapter 8 in two verses. Go down to verse 31 and 32, all right? And it's one of the most memorable things I think Jesus says. And he says it right here to the Judeans who had believed in Jesus. This is what he says. You ready? In verse 31, John chapter 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, so, right? John chapter 8, verse 31. If you continue to follow my teaching... You are really my disciples. Here it comes. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's really profound what he says there. If you continue to follow my teachings, you got to kind of, that's the way you kind of prove that you want Jesus, know Jesus, understand Jesus. You follow his teachings. He says, you prove that you're really my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And the truth is a big deal. Okay, now, so there's two things that work together in this statement. Two things, right? You know the truth. The truth will set you free. It's a component of knowledge that Jesus says comes first. Knowledge comes first. And there's this kind of understanding. It's sort of like a banishing, if you will, of deception and a and a getting your arms around an apprehension, uh, apprehending of what really is, and an opening of your mind and your heart to not only see truth as God's, God declares it, right, but to be overtaken by that truth, to be overwhelmed by that truth, to be engulfed in that truth, all right? And not only to see truth as God declares it to be, but to be, you know, overtaken, committed to it, all right? And having apprehended the truth, getting your arms around it, the other truth is that there's a result in the way that you live your life. You become free. You become free. What used to trap you, what used to scare you, inhibit you, no longer does. Jesus was saying, you'll know the truth and the truth will have its effect on your walk in the real world that you live in. You will become free. Now, we flesh this out whether you think it or not a lot of times. My, I can use the, an example of my wife, Linda, okay? Linda, she thinks that soda or Coca-Cola or any of those products, she believes that they are the devil, okay? She does. You know what I mean? And all you got to do is talk to her about soda, and she will say, you shouldn't drink it. That stuff will kill you. And then she'll even give you examples. She'll illustrate it physically for you. She'll take a glass and she'll put all the tablespoons of, of 
sugar in there. And after a while, you're like, oh, my gosh, that's how much sugar. And she's like, I know, see, this will kill you. You've got to quit drinking this. And then don't get her started about the effects of carbonation. Carbonation eats your stomach and your insides out and it just destroys your whole, you know, so she's all anti-soda. And, aunt, you know, oh, man, every time we go somewhere now, it's like, what do you do? Hey, what are you getting a soda for? I'm like, it's a part of the meal deal. It's like, you can ask for water. It's like, I don't care. Soda's bad for you. What are you doing, Ben? It's diet. Oh, don't get her started on diet. It's like, and then all the scientific effects of the, the, the fake sugar tricking your body into thinking that it's real sugar. I mean, she thinks she's a scientist in the whole thing. She really believes it. Okay, so anyway, enough talking about her. Let's talk about Jesus. You see this whole thing here? How, how, how Jesus says, look, if you, if you continue to follow my teachings, and, you're, and you're, you're, you're really my disciples, you know the truth, and the truth sets you free. You see, when you really get your arms around this truth, it sets you free, and you're not trapped anymore, and you're not deceived. What used to trap us, scare us, inhibit us, no longer does. Right? Jesus is saying, you know the truth? The truth will have its effect on your walk in the real world where you are and you become free. So this prayer now of Paul's is one of the great prayers in the Bible. That's these verses, verses 9 through 14. It's all about this subject, how a person uh, can be filled and overtaken and engulfed with the truth and how that should have an effect on your life and the way that you live. It's awesome, okay? And, and I just want to say before we read the prayer that when you encounter prayers in the Bible, and they're all throughout the scriptures, when you encounter prayers and, and uh, you know, prayers like Paul's, I want you to make a note, not only of the theological information that's in the prayers, there's tons of really great truth and theological information, but also the, that, that the fact that, that this is really a prayer and it can become an encouragement to your own prayers in the way that you pray. The earliest disciples, the followers, earliest disciples, Jesus' guys, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. Prayer is something that you have to learn. You can't, I mean, yeah, you can, you can say anything, you can do anything, and there's an innocence and a beauty to that as well. But it's also something you, I think you got to learn. I mean, Paul's prayers are complicated, it seems like sometimes. But I think they're complicated because... He's better at it <laughs> because he's really learned and you know what I mean? I think you have to learn to pray. And, and so observing the prayers that men and women have recorded in the Bible, I think it can be really helpful to us. We keep that in mind. So now Colossians chapter 1, go to verse 9 and let's, let's, let's take a look. Let's unpack it. Starting in verse 1, you ready? For this reason we also, from the day we heard about you, just stop right there. I know. I, I, I can't stand it. Just stop right there first for just a second. Because before you go any further, that phrase goes back to the preceding paragraph just before it where Paul tells us about this guy named Epaphras, right? We talked about him. He traveled to visit Paul who's under house arrest in, in Rome or he's in prison basically in chains in Rome. And he had given him a report of the Colossian church. So Paul had a great deal to be really 
joyful about. Tons of, tons of things, right? Because of the report of what's happening in Colossae. So these people were people who lived out their faith. And so their faith was being fleshed out and their love, and it was all based on hope. Just to kind of go back to last week, we talked about that. It was all based on hope. Not cross your fingers hope, but truth, right? So also, he says, I also mentioned, uh, or, or I want to mention to you uh, again, like I said last week, that we would come to a section, and we're going to get there, and we're going to recognize that these people were in danger too. That good things were happening in the church, but there's also some things that they need to be fully aware of because they were in danger a lot of times. Because there's always people within the church that don't understand or know the truth like they think they do. So we're going to get to that. But this is essentially a really great report from a healthy church. Okay? So Paul says in verse 9, here we go. You ready? For this reason we also, from the day we heard about you, have not ceased praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the display of all patience and steadfastness, joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the saints' inheritance in the light. <sighs> Holy cow, is a long sentence. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Wow, this is huge. I want you to remember, in, as, as we unpack this, I want you to remember Jesus' statement, though. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And that whole concept there of how these things work together. Because in verse 9 right here, Paul is praying that his hearers will be filled with knowledge. Everybody who hears this prayer and his sort of teaching in this prayer will be filled with knowledge. Knowing the will of God is the beginning point. We talk about, uh, we'll talk about what that means in just a minute, but then as, as we kind of look before, this knowledge is to result in something. It's not just knowledge for its own sake. Verse 10 says, so that you may live worthily, that's a word I know, worthily, of the Lord and please him in all respects. So the result of gaining this knowledge is that the ordinary world that we live in, that we walk in every day, we will live lives worthy of the Lord and pleasing to them. These are the two main things of this prayer. And there's a lot of stuff connected to them. It's the two main things, right? Gaining this knowledge and living a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him. So being filled with knowledge of God's will, spiritual wisdom and understanding, it's a profound thing to pray. And many times in our lives, we've probably asked the question, what does God want me to do? You ever ask that question? What does he want me to do? What is God's will for me? We want to know what he thinks and what his concerns are for us. We want to know. Once we've encountered God, as a living person, though, and we get our arms around who he really is, you realize 
that he has thoughts and convictions. God does, right? He hates some things and he loves some other things. Can you think of some of the things God hates and some of the things that God loves? See, and once you have some sense of what matters to God, you find ultimately that he is personally concerned about each one of us. He's concerned about the big stuff in our lives and the small stuff. But we're always shocked about what he isn't concerned with, I think, sometimes. So our discovery of God's will or God's heart or the will of God begins with his being, who he really is, right? And then it moves to his mind and convictions, and then it applies itself directly to us as individuals. So sometimes people will tell me, you know, or they, they want to know what God's will is. So they ask me all kinds of things about that. And I try my best to describe it and try to condense it down because it's really hard to explain. Here's the mind of God. Here's the heart of God, unless you know God. So most of the time, you know, people know about God, but they don't truly know him. So I try to tell people um, God's heart, God's will is to make good, logical, rational decisions based on the facts. And all the facts are in here. Good, logical, rational decision based on the facts. That's God's heart. That's God's will. You know, the problem is unless you, you know, until you really know God, see, you get confused because God sometimes asks us to do things that don't make sense according to the way we think or the way the world thinks, right? So we get things all kind of goofed up. So let's keep unpacking this. First, uh, first of all, the prayer here is that the one who hears this letter would be filled with knowledge of God's will, not somebody else's will, right? That's that first point right there, right? It's the will of God that should make that, that, that should own us and determine how, uh, you know, all kinds of things. Not the will of our employer. Have you ever had to go through that employee, uh, you know, that review thing? That you always got to go through a review, right? That's how you get a raise. You, you go through the review. Frequently, we find ourselves in the review process, right? And we begin to measure ourselves against some authority other than God. A lot of times we... Um, we, uh, we care about what Hollywood thinks, right? Have you noticed that? We care about what Hollywood thinks. And, you know, so, so have, you, uh, have you watched any of those Oscars or, you know, the Emmys and all that stuff? I can't, I can't watch that stuff anymore. I can't take it. I mean, it's, it's just ridiculous, right? I don't care what Brad Pitt thinks. I don't care what he thinks about John Bolton. I don't care what he thinks about relationships. I mean, for crying out loud, the guy was married to Jennifer Aniston, and now he's not. What a dumbhead. What's the matter with that guy? He's got no authority that I'm listening to. He might be a good-looking guy, but seriously? You know, who cares what he thinks? The question of the will of someone else for our lives is subordinate a lot of times and in fact, is nothing compared to the question, what is the will of God? What does God think? Not what does everybody else think in Hollywood or, 
and stuff like that. I mean, come on, who cares what those boneheads thinks? So it's his thoughts and his concerns for me. It's what God thinks. And so the first choice we have to make is to see whether or not we've been caught up in worrying about the approval of others rather than knowing the thoughts of God for us. We get caught up in this all the time. We look in the mirror sometimes and, you know, we begin to think, well, this is what, you know, uh, this is the way I need to think about how I look and all, all kinds of stuff, right? I mean, it's pretty crazy. Pretty soon you can begin to start measuring yourself against that instead of what God thinks. So first of all, the prayer here is that the one who hears this letter would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, not somebody else's will. And man, is it easy to get trapped in that. Here's the second one, right? Uh, uh, the, the second thing I think that you can make a point about knowing the will of God is that it is an overwhelming experience, actually. It's really overwhelming. It's a profound thing to experience, kind of coming to grips with God's will and God's heart. Paul says that we're filled with knowledge of God, God's will. It engulfs us. It overtakes us. The word knowledge here is a word in Greek that, does, uh, that doesn't mean just ordinary knowledge. It's gnosis. But that word is modified by a preposition. And I don't want to get into too much English teaching here. But it's modified by a preposition to, forward, to form this word epignosis, which means intensified. That's it. Clear and personal knowledge. Intensified knowledge. We're to be filled with an intensified knowledge of the will of God. And, and it takes all spiritual wisdom and understanding in order to be able to comprehend or get your arms around the will of God for us. So the phrase, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that communicates a depth, practicality, and application all in one, right? It takes all of our focus to know the will of God. It just doesn't come like this. I'm just going to, you know. And I'm going to listen to Pastor Ben, and then I'm going to be full of all the knowledge and the wisdom of God. It, it, it's not, I'm so not that good. Right? No, 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 no. Let, let's, let's move on, because here's another point that we can make in this verse. Is that submission to the will of God, that's a prerequisite to gaining knowledge of the will of God. There's certain order to things. If here, here's, here's, and I think this is huge, right? If God's going to make himself and his plans for me known to me, if, he, if that's what he's going to do, I have to have already determined that I will love what he loves, go where he sends me, think as he teaches me to think, humble myself, and, and that's, that, that's what's required. Rejoice, that's what's required. I have to have already given myself to his will. I can't be overwhelmed by the knowledge of his will without have, haven't already decided that I'm in agreement with it. That's what you do when you swear allegiance to the king. You surrender, you give up, and you say, I'm not making these decisions anymore based on the way I think. I'm going to do what you think. I believe you, God, to be wise so often i speak to people about trying to figure out what god is doing in their lives all the time and this is what i come to realize tell me if this is not you once in a while because it, it is me even right what i realize after i've talked to them for a while is that what they want is a sort of blueprint of god's will so they can vote on it 
right? They want his plans for their future all laid out for them so that they can stand back and decide if they're willing to go along with this or maybe modify it a little bit. But that makes no sense, actually, if you look at what Paul's writing in verse 9. Look at verse 9. In order to be filled with this intensified knowledge of the will of God, you have to have already decided, Lord, I will be who you've called me to be. I swear allegiance to you and what you want. See? And that is costly. It costs you everything. It costs you your life to do that. See, knowledge must lead to a life that is different than it was. Knowledge, for its own sake, that's no good. That's no good. Hey, do you know people who are described like this? Maybe you've described somebody. Well, I don't know. Maybe you've even been described like this. When you say, oh, that person is so smart. And then somebody goes, oh, yeah, but they're just book smart. They're just book smart, right? You know what that, that means? Oh, they can recite all the stuff. They, it, you know, that's the same thing as I know about God being different than truly knowing God, right? Because, I mean, the devil knows all about God, right? So now you can go to verse 10. Look at verse 10. Having been filled with the knowledge of God's will so that you may live worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects. That's an astonishing statement to start with, right? Everybody I know at some point in their life, if they're at all honest with themselves, they ask this question about their own value, their own self-worth, their own self-image, self-concept. We use all kinds of language for this. There's things about us that only we know. Think about yourself for a minute. Like there's cracks in our lives. There's failures. There's disappointments. There's even lies only we know about, right? <clears throat> we have a public front and then a private self. And it's a deep human concern whether we have done anything that's worth doing for us. We all want to do things that are worth doing, whether we've become what we ought to be, whether we can value ourselves or not, whether... There, there, there's any basis on which we can just spring out of bed in the morning and be excited about being who we are. But here we're being called to live a life that's not just worthy of humanity. We're supposed to live a life worthy of the Lord. Now look carefully at two phrases that go together here. It doesn't say only a life pleasing to the Lord. It says a life worthily of the Lord and please him in all respects. There's an important point to be made right here. When we are overtaken and engulfed by the knowledge of the will of God and our lives are changed, they become really, really valuable, worth living, honorable, joyful, and different, and God likes it. He likes it. That's what he wants. That's why he likes it, right? Now. Paul describes this worthy life in four ways. You ready? Here they are. Bearing fruit, increasing the knowledge of God, being strengthened, and giving thanks. See, the first two, look at verse 10 again. Bearing fruit in every good deed, growing in the knowledge of God. They're tied together. They're connected. Whether you like it or not, they're connected. It's a really interesting connection. Ideas tied up together. First of all, we have good deeds, good things, good works. 
These are things that a person can do throughout the day. If you can have good conversations that are positive and, and, and important and intentional. Good thoughts, right? God cares about what's going on in your head. Acts of courage. You can be courageous and do the right thing sometimes. Or just simple kindness, humility. Just being kind, right? You, you, that you show. See, God's at work in these good works that he's prepared for us to do. So there's fruit that comes from that. That's produced. Fruit bearing. Right? Fruit bearing. Now, then comes the power and the strength. That's what's next. Paul adds this truth of power and the impact, if you know, is a way you can describe it, and strength. Look at verse 11. Being strengthened with all the power or all power according to his glorious might. I mean, God has might, right? For the display, it's meant to be displayed, the display of all patience and steadfastness joyfully. Now, it, it, it kind of comes together in a, in a really unique way, I think, right here. The strength of God allows us to love. And it allows us to do some other things, to remain steadfast and unbroken by things that are hard and that we cannot change. Uh, do you know any, is there any hurt or 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 um, maybe difficulty or adversity, and um, this is what you know, you're not going to be able to change it. What are you, what are you talking about? Y you know anybody that's got um, cancer right now? Maybe they're dying of cancer. And, um, I mean, we're doing all kinds of really amazing things, but you know that there's not going to be anything that you can do about that. They're going to die. You know, the older we get, we're all going to die. That's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. You find out a lot about people who are, uh, and really who people are when they are in circumstances, when you're under pressure, that the power of God will not change. I'm not saying he can't change it. God can change anything, and he sometimes does, but not always. And being strengthened in this life that's worthy and pleasing to God to live with what we cannot change is one of the greatest evidences that God is actually at work. That we've under, you know, that we have understood the will of God and that we're becoming who we ought to be in the midst of things that we know we're not going to change. That's, that's a really tough place. There's two kinds of people I visit in the hospital that are dying really bitter person sometimes and they're just upset and uptight and bitter and they're they're just mad at the world because of what's happening in their life and then there's this really humble and joyful person and they're they're on their deathbed and everybody that interacts with them is just like transformed and changed because of the way that they that, that, that how they're just like embracing what's going on in their life right oh man they're 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 awesome to be around find out a lot about people when it just gets all stripped away like that, right? The strength of God allows us to love, remain unchanged in our steadfastness, right? And unbroken by this by things that are hard, difficult, painful and that we can't change sometimes. So, let's go to the last modifying clause, which is joyfully. See, thankfulness is woven in all of the scriptures, almost everywhere you go, people who choose to be thankful and joyful don't call attention to themselves. 
And if, and, and if anything is a mark of maturity, it is honestly grateful recognition that no matter what else is true of me, no matter what, God loves me, he's chosen me, I'm his, and that relationship cannot be broken. Now, all of this worth, or all of this up to this point, is worth all the consideration that we can give it, all of it now. Because the, the prayer is that we would be overtaken by this knowledge, just engulfed by this knowledge of the will of God, filled up, applying all this spiritual wisdom and discernment to it, and, and captured by it, and the glory of who God is, and what, and what his intentions are for us. And having learned all that magnificent truth, our lives are radically changed. Now we live lives worthy of him and worthy of pleasing him. So the final verses, verses 12, 13, and 14, are centered in Jesus. Look at these verses. Look how he ends. We give thanks to the Father who's qualified us to share the saints' inheritance in the light. He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us. That's a great word. Transferred us to the kingdom of the son of, of the son he loves in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what redemption is, right? So now we have the imagery of a battle and dominion. Do, uh, the domain of darkness and the kingdom of God's son. And our being delivered from darkness and transferred to the light, our gaining an inheritance, our citizenship, right, in heaven, being changed from this tyranny of the darkness to this magnificent kingdom of God's love, the kingdom of the Son. So what matters is the person the work, the glory, the honor of Jesus Christ, right? That's what matters. That's what it's all about. Believing that God has expressed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit, Holy Spirit. All these three persons, all now God, all equally God. With a different role, the focus of our faith and the center of our life as Christ followers is God having become one of us in Jesus. That's it. It's all about Jesus. It is Jesus whom we, uh, that, that's who we, 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 we count. And that's what this prayer ends with. Recognition of our transference into the kingdom of God's son and the redemption and forgiveness of sins that are in him. All of this is what is the underpinning of the life that we find being prayed about here. So we got to stop and ask these questions. What, is, what does this have to do with me now? How does this apply to me? What does this have to do with me? Okay, you ready? Are there others whose influence weighs more heavily on us than God's will or what he wants? And are we paying attention more to what others think? And that's how we bend, we bend to that? Are we being filled with the knowledge of his will? Right? Is there more depth to this knowledge than we've ever seen before? Is God's heart, his purposes for us, the reason for our existence? Is it clear to you now? Is it clear and in focus? Are we bearing fruit in every good work? Are all the things that you're doing, is it producing, is it producing fruit? Is, is, is that 
process of teaching us more about God and causing us to bear more fruit, because this is a process and a journey, right? Are we being strengthened by God so that when we're under pressure, we're able to stand it because his power is at work within us? Are we joyously giving thanks? Another word for joy is satisfied, being satisfied. So are we, are we, are we satisfied with where God has us and what he's doing with us and, and, and thankful? Because he's got a, a different aspect of the mission for each of us to carry out, right? These are really important questions to ask and things to pray for, right? So Paul didn't expect them to happen just like that, instantaneously, without any thoughtfulness. This takes time and, I would say, intentionality, this process does. He prayed that this work would be done would be done. We can pray for ourselves and the, and everybody that we love that such things should be done in us and among us. That's the way we're supposed to utilize, I think, this prayer and all of the theology that's within this prayer. It seems like it's a little complicated lesson, but you got to go back to John 31, 32, right? If you continue to follow my teaching, you are really my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we'll be able to live in a way that God has designed us to live. That is really, really powerful. We're going to continue to work through this. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, help us to submit to this truth, to know this truth to understand this truth and this knowledge of really who you are. That's not easy to get our arms around, God, that, but that's what we want to be and what we want to happen in our lives, Lord, because we know that this knowledge changes everything in our lives. And we, as a result of just knowing who you are and what you're all about and what your heart is, we know that we... We, we live different, so we want to we live like that. We want to be that kind of a radical Christ follower, Lord. We want to be that kind of a radical church that really knows your heart and your will. And all these things are connected to it, Lord. I just pray that they would be unleashed in our lives. So we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>